God is good. I'm continuing talking about uh, the flawed heroes. And so last week we looked at Gideon. And actually, funny story, I, I picked eight um, of the judges from, from the book of Judges. And then got to this week and, and thought, okay, so, you know, Evan's doing one of them. And then I realized that there's nine weeks between, September, or between October and November. And I was like, oh man, I only picked eight. So we're doing Gideon again. Is everybody okay with that? So Gideon part two. Uh, I did not realize it was going to be part one last week, but it's part two this week because Gideon actually has the longest amount of stuff written about him in the book of Judges. So there is a lot to talk about Gideon. And so last week was a lot of fun talking about Gideon. I thought we could just have some more fun talking about Gideon again today. So that's what's happening. Obviously a little bit different, but Gideon was last week. We looked at his victory over Midian uh, with his weird weapons and how God uses the strangest things sometimes to win the war and the victory over situations. But I have a question for you. Have you ever gotten a loan? Have you ever gotten a loan? You've gotten a loan. Right? Yeah. Okay. So most of us have probably gotten a loan, whether it was a house loan, a car loan, student loan, you know, lots of loans going around. I, I, I believe that, um, you know, it's a thing that happens all the time. And whenever you get a loan, there's always something the banks want before they give you a loan. What, what do they want to see before they give you a loan? Everything. First child, everything. Everything. Yeah, your history, finances. They, they, they want to know what you're getting into, right? They're, they're like, well, what was your job? For, oh, you, you only had a job for that long? What was your job before that? Well, uh, seriously, where did you live? Tell me about the previous, like, ten houses because you didn't live there long enough. So you tell me, right, there's a lot that goes into getting a loan. Um, and it's a, it's a normal expect, expected part of getting a loan. Uh, but it's kind of funny and frustrating all at the same time. Uh, but I, I believe that, you know, we... It's obvious why they do that, right? Because they want to know that they're going to get paid back. They want to know your history. They want to know the collateral, right? They, they want to know what's happening. They want to be as safe as possible because too many times people get a loan and then they don't pay it back. And that does not look good for the companies, for the banks. Uh, or, you know, one time I was shopping for a car and uh, typically when you go shopping for a car, they ride with you and you have that salesman in the car and they're sitting there, right? You can't say anything, right? You're with you. It's so awkward, right? So, so you get in the car, and then, and then if the salesman like, lets your, your wife or your husband sit in the passenger seat, then they're sitting in the back just like, hey, guys, how do you like the car? I, I, I'm not going to say I love it because then you're going to try to convince me to buy it. So one time, we, we were going to buy a car, and, and so they're like, actually, you could take the car without a salesperson as long as you leave your license. And so that was the best time ever. I loved it. Right? You know, no offense to any car salesman here, but I really enjoyed being able to say, man, this car stinks to my wife, you know, or, or whatever I was saying. But banks and car dealers and, and all these kind of things, they need insurance or assurance that they're going to get something back, collateral or whatever. They want to know what's going to happen. Have you ever wondered or thought that maybe... We seek collateral or assurance from God in our Christian walk. I, I believe that Gideon is a great example of this idea of wanting collateral, wanting, want, wanting, well, I'm not going to do it unless you tell me everything. So in Judges chapter 6, Judges chapter 6, verse 36. Judges chapter 6, verse 36. It says, Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised, 
Look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece on the ground and the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel at my hand. As you said, collateral, right? We got to check this and that and see all your bills. And there's that idea, right? If you will, then I will. So verse 38, and that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and rang out the dew into a bowl of fresh water. Awesome. Gideon got his collateral. Then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me, right? Just like the banks. They're like, you gave me some stuff, but now I need even more and more and more and more and more stuff. Let me, know, let me make just one more request. Allow me... One more test with the fleece. This time, make the fleece dry and the ground around it, covered in dew. That night, God did so. Only the fleece was dry and the ground was covered in dew. We see that, that Gideon wants, this, wants God to do a sign for him. He wants God to, to show him something. And, and, and I will trust you if you show yourself to me. You know, I will believe that I can give you this, that I can go for you, that I can maybe die for you if you will do something for me. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Actually, do it twice because once wasn't even good enough. Um, and we see, you know, just like we saw last week, Gideon, after this in chapter 7, was victorious, right? He finally trusted God after the two times of, of needing collateral, needing, needing assurance that, that God is really going to do something, even though he was literally... Talking to the angel of the Lord, he was there with God, and it's pretty amazing, but he was worried. He was still very worried. This idea does not leave the life of Gideon. And we kind of mentioned it last week a little bit when, when I talked about that there was this aspect of fear that kind of is, is throughout the book of, or the story of Gideon, you know, and so it doesn't leave his life. Even through the full, even to the end of his life, we see this, this desire for, for collateral, this desire for something more than just what God said. I believe we look for that all the time too. And in John, another person who struggled with this idea, in John 20, verse 29, uh, after Jesus had, had visited the disciples, Jesus had died and rose again, and he was alive again, and he showed up to the disciples, all except Thomas, and he was like, hey, everybody, I'm alive, and they're like, whoa, you're alive, and then they believed him, right, and then, and then they go to Thomas, poor Thomas, he's, he's the only one who didn't get to see Jesus, they go to Thomas, like, guess what, Jesus is alive, he talked to us, he was with us, Thomas is like, I know he wasn't, I don't believe you. Right, but then in verse 29, then Jesus told him, so Jesus appeared to Thomas and said, no, 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 it's me, I'm right here. You, you doubted, I'm right here, touch my hands, touch. Jesus told Thomas, because you have seen, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. It's amazing, right? And so a lot of us put ourselves into that category because we haven't seen God. But sometimes we are more like Gideon and we want to see the collateral before we can truly believe God. Maybe we're not talking about, I want to see Jesus right here with, with holes in his hands and, and, and in his side. I want to see him right here before I believe. That's not really what we're talking about. But the idea that if we don't see this happen or if, we, if, if this is not happening, then, then I can't really believe that. Blessed are those who have, have not seen anything but trust God in any way. So back to Gideon, right? So Thomas and Gideon, these two, two men who struggled with this idea of, I want, I want to see something. I got to feel it. I got to see it. I got to understand it because if I don't, then it's not good enough. Then I can't really trust God. And so, so Gideon's life, right? So he, he fights the Midianites and they win and they do this amazing stuff. So, Judges chapter 8, Gideon has, has won, and he's, he's, he's cut off the heads of these dudes, 
the the Z guys, their, their names are both Z names, I'm not going to pronounce them, but so, so he cuts off their heads, and then in verse 22, chapter 8, verse 22, the Israelites said to Gideon, rule over us, you, your sons, and your grandsons, because you have saved us out of the hands of Midian. So, so the people of Israel are looking at Gideon as a great leader. They want him to be their king. They want him to be their leader, their ruler, their king. And they're, they're, they're saying, rule over us. Obviously, you are the best. So lead us. So verse 23, and I'll talk more about that after. Verse 23, but Gideon told them, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And he said, I do, not, I do have one request, that each of you give me an earring from your share of the plunder. It was a custom of Ishmaelites to wear a gold earring. They answered, we will gladly give them. So they spread out their garments, and each man threw a ring from his plunder onto it. The weight of the gold rings he asked for came to 1,700 shekels not counting the ornaments and pendants. And the purple garments worn by the king of Midian or the chains that were on their camel's necks. Gideon made a gold, the gold into an ephod, which he placed in Orpha, his town. All Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and his family. Because two amazing things happen here. First one is the thing about the king. The, the people are looking for this, this king and they, 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 want, they want Gideon because obviously he's the strongest. Obviously he has something going on. So they, they want him to be the king. He's, he's leading the people. He's doing things. And so, so make him our king. And Gideon says, no, 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 stop it. God needs to rule over you. God is your king. And the second thing, is Gideon made an ephod out of the gold in order to honor God. Now, this, this amazing thing about kingship, we're going to talk about kingship in December. So, so all of Judges is, the, the book of Judges is all about, in that time, Israel had no king, had no ruler, and the people did whatever they wanted, and then they sinned, and then God raised them, raised up a judge or raised up a leader, and then they came back to God. And I believe that in, a, in today's culture, in our culture, in our understanding, we are often looking for a king also. We want a physical person. So December, the study is going to be pursuing the king. And it was great singing that song, right? He's the king. He's the resurrected king. And so we're going to be talking about what it looks like to be the real king. Not someone that we look to, oh, okay, this person is going to lead us, you know, and not me. I'm just here. I, I, I do what I can, but not this person or that person, this leader, that leader. But God needs to be our king. Now, Gideon gets that right. Good job, Gideon. Gideon understood that, that it's not a man, it's not a woman, it's not a person, it's not, not a... No, no, God is your king, and when God is your king or God is your ruler, then everything else will be okay, and that's when we are living for him, and that's when, 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 when the body of Christ or Israel flourishes, when they understand that God is their king. The second thing that happens is that he makes an ephod. So an ephod, if you don't know what an ephod is, because it is kind of an odd thing, it is this chest plate or breastplate that was worn by the high priest in the worship of God in the tabernacle in the Old Testament. So if you want to read more about the ephod, I'm not going to read it, but in Exodus chapter 20, you can read about it, how big it was, how, what was on it. There's like different gems and gold and all this kind of stuff. It's pretty amazing. They don't exactly know what it looks like, but it was a thing that was worn right here. And so the high priest would wear it when they went to do sacrifices, and they went into the, the Holy of Holies, and so it was an item made and worn in worship to God. But something happens, and I believe it happens to us all the time, that their worship 
got misguided. Their worship got misdirected. And it happens so often in the church, outside of the church, in America, outside of America, wherever you may be, there's, there's this misplacing of worship. Right? Because this thing was a symbol or a sign of true worship for God. But the problem is it says all Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping it. And it became a snare for Gideon. Why? Because this thing, right? This thing, I'm not actually going to pick up her guitar, but, right? Sometimes we, we, we look at certain things as, well, this is, this is where worship is, right? You know, if, if we don't have the guitar or the, the, the singing, then, then it's not worship. But sometimes there's items and there's things that we, we point to as what worship is. But in reality, these things can become something that we focus on when we're supposed to be focusing on God. It's difficult. The ephod was not a bad thing. The ephod was a very good thing. The ephod was a, was a thing that pointed us to God, right? This is, this is my Bible, and it points me to God. But if I was to worship this book, I would no longer be pointing to God. I would be worshiping words, and I would be saying, yes, because of this, then, then it'll be okay. It's God. These are his words. This is a way that we can sing and we can glorify him, but it is not where our focus needs to be. It's amazing. Too often, the beautiful voices, the, the amazing instruments, things like that become the focus. And if it's not here, then, oh, man, this is amazing. You, you ever heard worship songs that don't really sound like they're about God? Okay, yeah, a lot of you, right? We... So often we, we come to a place where just like the ephod, there's this, there's this thing, it's amazing and God has given talents, God has given amazing gifts, and, and, and he, has, he has put people and things in place so that we can honor him with a building, with, 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 with things, with stuff. We can honor him with that, but also we can become so consumed with the stuff or with the people who are there, we misplace our worship because the collateral sometimes is easier to believe. Because we can see it, or we can hear it, maybe sometimes more than we can see or hear God. It's difficult. They prostituted themselves in worshiping it. It's amazing. Gideon and Thomas, oftentimes we put more faith and worship into those things that we can see, taste, feel, smell, experience, than actually in God. It's, it's very difficult. I believe that, that no believer in Christ begins this journey with wrong motivation. Right? Oh, well, I, I love this place. I love this singer. I love this, this preacher. I love this whatever. And, and, and you start getting so consumed with, with the thing or the person that, that you're like, yeah, I'm learning. I'm growing. This is so good. And, and God is speaking and God is doing great things. But then sometimes the motivation can shift because what God can or has done in your life is what you begin worshiping more than him being him as Yahweh or as the I am. Are we worshiping and hoping for and having faith in the experiences that we've had back here saying that, yep, when I was at this place or when I was at this one time, I remember a time when God really moved and I saw a healing or I saw I, I saw somebody, you know, fall out in the spirit or I saw this or that or I experienced something, I felt something and all of these things. And, and when we look back on things, and we say that experience is why I believe in God. Wait. That experience should help us and bolster our faith. But too often we look at certain things or certain situations 
or certain desires and hopes that God is going to change our situation. And because I hope that he's going to change my situation, because I've seen him change my situation in the past or other people's situation in the past, I know he'll change my situation. But are we trusting God because of that or because he is? God will rule you. The Lord rule you. Jesus said, blessed is the one who believes without seeking. I believe that it is not just his physical body, but it's everything that we put so much faith in sometimes. And yes, those things help us to build our faith, right? When, when we see God move, and he does move, he does, he does bring healing into situations. He does bring healing into bodies. He does bring provision into situations but is that why we worship God? Because if that's why we worship God, then our worship and our faith is misguided. We've begun looking at the, the outcome or the ephod instead of the one who is ultimately supposed to be worshipped. In Romans, 10, uh, Romans 12, 1, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper act of worship. Now, what does it mean to be a living sacrifice? I believe that sometimes we misunderstand this idea of living sacrifice because too often we're like, well, yeah, it says living in there, so I'm going to live my life. And yeah, but a sacrifice dies. Sacrifice is burned up consumed. God is a consuming fire. It's not about us, but it's Christ in us. True worship is not about being thankful for what God has done or what we believe God will do. Like the fleece, right? He said, well, God, I'll believe you if and when. Or the beautiful ephod, but it has everything to do with you giving all of yourself to him, like that sacrifice being burned up, without expecting anything back, no matter what the cost is. Because what if God calls you to go to a foreign land, and you go over here, and you're like, God has called me to be over here, to, to live this life, and, and to witness for him. And you don't see financial blessings. You don't see this amazing thing. You don't see this amazing thing. And you end up getting killed for him. Sacrifice. Sometimes we downplay the idea of sacrifice because, okay, so maybe God's calling you over there to do this thing and there's the possibility of dying, but also... God says, well, you know, there are people here, too, who need your help. And, and so you're like, but this is easier. And then you, you see the, well, see, I've experienced good things here. I'm not going to go over there because there is possible danger, possible terrible things over there. No matter what the cost. In the early church, it's funny. When you read through Acts, you know, we're reading through the New Testament on Wednesdays, before Wednesdays. We read through Acts, and, and they, they talk about lots of different people, and none of them die and have a nice funeral. Anybody who dies in Acts dies horribly. It's a picture of no matter what. Not, not oh, well, God, if you do this and you provide for that, then I'll trust you. He will take care of his children, but sometimes that doesn't look like what we want it to look like. And I think it's amazing because this, this concept is, is difficult, but Jesus was talking to the woman at the well. And in, in, in response to her like complaint of where we should worship or how we should worship or that kind of thing, and, and because she was honestly seeming concerned, you know, because she was Samaritan and Samaritans did a thing over here. They did, they did worship this way. And, and the Jews did a thing over here, and they did worship that way. 
But Jesus' response is important for us to recognize today because it's not about our building versus that building or our type of music versus their type of music or my type of speaking versus that person's type of speaking or our online presence versus somebody else's online presence. That's not what it's about. Jesus said, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father is seeking. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Not entrusting the things. Not entrusting the symbols that we see all the time, right? The, the cross is a symbol that, we, that we, we talk about, we look to, right? We sang about it, that the cross is where where, you know, Jesus died. But sometimes the cross can be an ephod. And we look so much to the cross, the cross, the cross. We've missed Jesus, who is not on a cross anymore. And he is rose from the dead. And, and Yahweh, who is the true I am that I am, no matter what happens, he died on a cross. And Peter, it's, it's said that Peter, they were going to crucify him. And he's like, no, 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 no. I don't want to be like him. He was amazing. Do it upside down, right? Even worse. It's not actually in Acts. He's not one of the ones who died in Acts, but that's what church history has believes. And all the disciples are believed by church history and, and accounts in history that they all died. Now, I'm not saying that God is calling you to literally die today or this year, but if he was... Because some people are still dying for the gospel today. I get the Voice of the Martyrs um, newsletter sometimes, and um, it's pretty horrific. You know, a couple years ago, was it Iran, where people were cutting heads off of Christians? It's happening today. Are we so comfortable? with the things like the ephod and the things that we can see, well, I'm going to believe in Jesus because I see the cross. Or are we trusting in God no matter what? Believing him in spirit and in truth. I think Jesus makes it very clear that it's not about a place. It's not about a way. It's not about a thing when he's talking to that woman at the well. He's saying it doesn't matter. You can worship over there in your place. We'll worship you over here in our place. That doesn't matter. What matters is God is looking for true worshipers who will say, no, I, this stuff doesn't matter as much as my trusting him. No matter what. Amen. It's difficult. Gideon, in the case of Gideon, we see that that. He, he sets up this thing, right, the ephod, as, as the way to worship. But it causes the people to move away from true worship of God and trusting God, which, through, like, I, like I've mentioned, in Judges, we see a lot of times where the people are like, we worship God. Why? Because he did a good thing for us. We worship God because he did a good thing for us. And then as soon as the, the, the problems go away, then we're like, well, we can do whatever we want again. All right. God fixed it again, guys. Now we can do whatever we want. Oh, no, there's a problem. How did we fix it last time? We didn't. Oh, what happened? Oh, God, God, fix it again. Oh, good, he fixed it again. All right. Now we can do whatever we want again. And I think the church today happens, does the exact same thing too often because we've misplaced our worship. We've misplaced the true idea of faith and worship in him, not in the things that we experience, not in the things that we hope for, that we believe for, that, that, that we're seeing him change in our lives. Because what if, what if the world does get worse? What if America does get worse? What if we are not allowed to do this next year? What if we are not allowed to? What if we become like Iran and if we proclaim publicly that I believe this is the Bible and Jesus is real, you might get your head cut off. What if that? Would you still 
say, I am a living sacrifice. This is my true act of worship. Or I'm just going to quietly play my guitar because this is really where worship is. We'll just do it real quiet, hiding in the Groover's house. Because <laughs> we've got to go to their house because that's where, that's where Megan plays. Anyway, what if the world turns terrible? Do I believe that God is going to lead us to victory? Do I believe that God is, is doing great things for his church and, and, and for the world? Yes, I, I do believe that. I believe that he's going to lead us to, to a great place and that we are going to have victory and, and God is going to move mightily and there's going to be more people coming to him, more people seeking him, more nations seeking him, more people having a desire. I believe that. But what if in my lifetime I don't see that? What if in our lifetime we see the opposite? That doesn't mean it's not going to happen, right? In, in Revelation, we, we see that, that, that Jesus is the winner. But what if in our lifetime that we don't see it? Are we still going to trust? Man, everything's worse. Everything's worse. I thought it was going to get better. I thought it was going to get better. What if it doesn't? Trust him. And in Romans, again, in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, it says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged glory for the immortal God, for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over to their sinful desires, the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity for the, um, for the degrading of their bodies with one with another, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. The amazing thing here is the Apostle Paul says, God gave them over to their sinful desires. Sometimes, when our desire and our, our worship and our faith is in the wrong thing, we see those things glorified. Because our sinful desires, God says, come back to me, come back to me, come back to me, come back to me. Well, you know, people talk about why do good things happen to bad people? God gave them over to their sinful desires. And you know what? Sometimes prospers. But they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. It happens so often. Whether it's in a church, in a community, in the nation, in the world. Truth for a lie. We must not substitute where our faith and our worship and our hope is. It should always be in God. As God. Not in our situation getting better, knowing that when we come to Christ and repent, our sins are gone. We are made new. We are righteous. And that's where our hope is. But like Gideon and Thomas, we desire so often those things that we can see or hear. I was reading about a thing about prayer, and they said the amazing thing is that, that prayer... You know, you should, you should work on the senses and stuff like that. And, you know, smells and colors and all this kind of stuff. And that's true. God created all these things. But in reality, where those things come from is pagan worship. So we need to be careful that we're not substituting just being inspired and following after God with, well, actually, we... We've fallen into a misguided kind of worship. 
So what does this look like? What do we do then? How do we, how do we make sure that we're not falling into the trap of, of well, I, I, I can worship if it's this song or that song, or I could, you know, I could learn from God if it's this person or that person, but not that person, that person. And, but what do we do with that? In Hebrews chapter 12, I love this verse. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. I love stopping there because we often believe that sin, sin hinders, right? But it says, and the sin. Very often, the things that are good, like the ephod, can hinder us from true worship, from throwing off everything that hinders and the sin. Because sometimes we, we get so consumed in, in, our, in our activities, in our stuff, whether it's, it's a church thing, you know, a, a thing that's supposed to lead you to God, or it's just TV and, and hanging out, or, or the family, or, or your job. Those things can hinder us so often from truly relying on God. And knowing that everything that we do should be to glorify him, not I do this thing and I glorify him over there. It's a thing that hinders and can so easily entangle. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer or author and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the what? cross, scorning its shame, he sat down at the right hand of, the, of God, of the throne of God, considered him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So our example is Christ. Let us throw off everything that hinders, every sin, everything that hinders, who is the author and perfecter of the faith who endured the cross. Like I was saying earlier, what if God has not called you, destined you to live a life of comfort and being taken care of and fully health, full health, but what if God has called you to be something else and to, to bear a cross that only you can handle so that you can be in a place to touch other people? Now, do I believe God can and does heal people? Absolutely. But sometimes, you know, our, you know when I think about it all the time, um, Jeff, you know, he was in a situation where he was able to witness and such joy and and comfort to so many people that I couldn't because of the things he went through. And I'm thankful for him. I think about him all the time, and I know you do too. But God is good. God did amazing things through him, and he's a blessing. Sorry. Bring up sad moments, right? But God is so good. God is so good. Sometimes in situations we see that that we, we desire something so much here that our worship has been misplaced. Our worship needs to be Him in heaven. And someday, when we know that we are saved, that we are, that we are set free, we can throw off everything that hinders and sin and anything that hinders and fixing our eyes simply on Christ, knowing that He is the author and perfecter and pioneer of our faith. And you know what? He endured that. I can endure anything for Him. And you know what? If I don't see the... The, the, the benefit of the thing until I get there, that's okay, because I will do whatever I need to here because I am his servant, I am his slave. I am not looking for the, for the benefits, but I trust him and I will do anything. I will be anything so that I might win some, the Apostle Paul said. And he's the guy who got stoned multiple times and thrown out of cities and this and that. He was trying to be so nice and so everything to everybody, but he was like, you know what matters the most is Christ. Jesus said, don't take money, don't take food, don't take anything when he sent out the 70. He said, just go 
and say, I'm here. Jesus is with me. And if they don't accept you, then just leave. It's okay. Or get kicked out and, you know, thrown out or stoned or whatever happened to Paul all those times, you know. <laughs> Poor guy. But we must make sure that our worship and our faith is, is in God alone. Not in our experiences. Not in those things we've hoped for or those things that we've hoped for and we've seen or the hopes that we still have. Because those are good things. Not in our comfort. This is a nice comfortable building. We turned the heat up and it was better, right? Not in our preferences. Maybe you liked the songs we did today. Maybe you didn't like them. Maybe you like the way I preach. Maybe you don't. Maybe you liked the Bible verses I picked. Maybe you don't. Maybe the kids, you know, like their class. Maybe they don't. That's preferences. Some things we could say, yes, are incorrect. And that's important that we, we recognize that. Some, some songs and some speakers and stuff like that are incorrect. But, and if I'm incorrect, let me know. I'm always, uh, let me know. But let's not let our preferences dictate our faith. Amen. I believe these things are not sin. Preferences are not sin, right? Throw off everything that hinders and the sin. You know, if you would much rather an, an, an organ and how great, I don't know. I'm, just, I'm not, I was going to do something, but I decided not to because I don't. You don't want to hear me sing. I was going to fake it. I'm not going to make it. So, <laughs> so right, maybe, maybe you prefer that, but, but God can speak through anything that we choose to worship him in that way. Remember, the collateral that we see from God should not be where we put our faith. Because God does. He does, like a bank, you know, we see, well, where was your history? Oh, I remember a time at camp, or I remember a time at a, at a conference where God did this, where I, I prayed for somebody, and you know what, they, the, the cancer in their body, like, was gone, and I was like, oh my goodness, wow, or, or I didn't have enough money, but I was like, well, I guess I have to, I don't know, there you go, there's what I got, and it turned out to be okay. God does provide. God does do amazing things. God does speak through us and to each of us. But that should not be where our faith is. So the collateral that we see, the, the assurances that God gives us, the comfort that we feel that, that, that God says, I am here, help our faith. But don't put your faith in that. And so how do we make sure that we're being the living sacrifice? 1 John 4, 19 through 21 says, We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. I like those strong words. I like when the Bible just throws it out there and says, What? For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So what do we think about people? What do we feel about people? How do we think? How do we feel about other people? How do we think? How do we feel about ourselves? Do we genuinely care for others? very difficult thing because it literally says right there if you don't have a genuine care for good for someone then you don't love God if we say we're worshiping God but we have anger or bitterness or hostility or jealousy or apathy toward people then we are not being genuine 
It is a good possibility that we have misplaced our worship and faith and trust in God to the things because we're harboring all those things in our lives. A lot of times we, we look to certain things to fix the problem, just like the people of Israel said, rule over us, your sons, your grandsons. We want him to fix our situation, our friends, our family, our nation, our church, our world. And if he doesn't, we're a little like Gideon in that, like, well, maybe we should throw out another fleece. Maybe, maybe that one was too hard, God. I'll give you something else. Fix this little situation. Because then I, then I can believe you. I don't know, I got, a, I got too much anger and, and hurt and frustration going on that I, I just can't love or care for somebody that much. But then God's love's not in us. Luke 6, 32 through 36 says, If you love those who love you, what credit is it to you? Even sinners do that. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is it to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those whom you expect repayment, what credit is it to you? Oh, there's those banks. Those banks. Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to those do good to them and lend without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. I thought he was kind to us. Be merciful just as your Father in heaven is merciful. I believe it's so amazing so often we, we lend our time, our talent, our treasure to God, expecting something back. Well, wait, wait, wait. It says, lend without expecting anything back. If we're giving to God our time, our talent, our treasure, and all of us, but we're expecting something back. The sinners do that. That's what Jesus said. Now, does God give, right? It says he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked, and he is merciful. So does he provide for his children? Yes. But are we expecting the reward? Or are we saying, you know what, God... I'm giving this to you because it is yours. I am your living sacrifice. Everything that I have, everything that I am, everything that I could be is yours, period. Are you willing to surrender everything in order to be a child of the Most High? Everything. If we only look for the reward or the collateral or the benefits, we are just like the sinners that Jesus was talking about. And yes, does God give good gifts? Yes, right, because he said, even you being evil, don't give your son or daughter a scorpion when they ask for a piece of bread, right? How much more does God give to you? But your children aren't your children because you give them good things, right? We become like Gideon, allowing things to snare us and entangle us away from God. The way I want to close today is we're not going to close in a song. We're going to close in a declaration. Now, if, if you feel strongly that you are not able to make this declaration, then don't. But I encourage you that, and like I said, maybe this is not your version of worship making a declaration, but if you want to say today 
that he is my Lord because he is the Lord. If you'd put that up on the screen. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to stand. Now, if you can't read that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a line and then have you repeat it after me. And now, as this is going to be our prayer, this is going to be our closing, this is going to be our declaration of worship to who he is. It says, I declare and proclaim. So then you repeat. I declare and proclaim. This is my day to lay down my life. It's no longer I that live. But Christ lives in me. I have done nothing. Absolutely nothing. To earn my salvation. Jesus, you paid the price for me to live and be free. God, burn away my pride and consume my sin. You are my master. Not my will, but yours be done. God, resist the proud, so I resist pride. I embrace humility and put it on like a garment. I choose to go low. God's power is made perfect in my weakness. I boast in my weakness. And God's power rests on me. I humble myself under God's mighty hand. He will exalt me whenever and however he chooses. I empty myself now. I am a slave to God and a servant to people. Father, in the name of Jesus, take my life. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for the offering, and then we'll have a blessed day. Amen. Amen. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that, that you are the Lord of everything. We ask, Lord God, that you continue to help us to honor you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that that you have given us so much in this life. We, we give it all back to you. Thank you that, that you give us the opportunity to, to be a blessing in this church, in this town, Lord God, in this nation, in this world. We ask, Lord God, that our, that our gifts and our talents be used for your glory. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we get to be a sacrifice for you. We look to you not to get back, but to honor you because you are holy. Thank you, Jesus. In your name, amen. 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 Greet each other as you leave.